Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Good. Hey, listen, we're doing this series about uh, celebrating and uh, how uh, uh, the, the uh, last week, Cody talked about yeah, you can celebrate because it's all gravy. Everything you have is a gift. Breath in your lungs is a gift from God. So if nothing else, you have that to celebrate. I talked first week a little bit about, among other things, um, just the fact that, that you can celebrate in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. And, uh, but today I want to talk about something different. I want to talk about actually celebrating for uh, some circumstances that it would seem counterintuitive. It seemed like they shouldn't be situations for which you celebrate. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I want to begin with, like, I, I kind of want to lay a groundwork for something. Um, uh, I want you to just think for a moment, what do you think God's natural disposition is? What do you think? Now, we read in Scripture that, that, uh, that Christ got angry. The Old Testament, God got angry. There were sorrows, that kind of thing. But I, I want to just think about this. Every time that God uh, expressed anger or, or was said of God that he was angry or that he was sad, it was in response to the fallen world in which we live. In response to either us as individuals having stepped outside of his will or the results of a fallen world. And so I want you to picture for a moment that we are taken out of this world, we are taken to heaven, well, there's no more sadness, no more sorrow. And I think in that, we will see God's true disposition, which is one of joy. I think God is a joyful God. And uh, so here's what I need to warn you. Some of you are not going to like heaven very much. Because you're not very joyful people. You know what? I, I, I've seen Christians like this. They're just, they just think a part of Christianity is just kind of being a sourpuss. You know, just kind of like... You know, just against everything. Well, you're going to hate heaven. Because, so, you know, in, in, in Revelation, it, this isn't in my notes. I'm not going to charge you for this part. Um, there, is this, there is this thing that happens that we say, holy, holy, holy. It's not just a song we sing. It's, it's actually what it is, is God reveals a part of himself to us. And our response is, holy. And he reveals more of himself. Holy. And then he reveals more. Holy. And because God is eternal, we can do that a really long time. God can reveal himself to us. There is going to be the joy of discovery, the joy of, of just enjoying our creator because that's what he created us for. And so I think one of the things that's really important, not just for our well-being here on this earth and our, and our, our development of character and Christ-likeness, but I think we just ought to get in practice of celebrating, of being joyful people because that's something we're going to do forever is to be joyful. And so today I want to help us, and, and I want to talk about how we have joy in, in circumstances that don't seem very joyful. But first, I want to give you an illustration. So uh, a guy named Ed, uh, what was his name, Ed? I wrote it down. Um, Ed Reed. Anybody know who Ed Reed is? Football player, Ravens, a few years ago. Uh, and uh, Belichick also a coach. By the way, if you don't follow football, shame on you. It's a metaphor for life. Catch up. Okay, so, um, <laughs> uh, so Belichick, who doesn't like anything, says, the, from what I could tell, says the greatest defensive football play ever was by this guy, uh, Ed. Ed, what was his name? Ed Reed. And um, 
I actually saw an interview with him and, and Belichick talking about this play, and it was against Peyton Manning. The young, younger one's here. Um, he used to play football. He sells insurance now. And uh, so... And so Peyton Manning was well known for just being studious, just studying film, just studying the other team, just knowing everything the other team was going to do. And he was, he was well known for coming up to the line of scrimmage, and before he hiked the ball, he would change the play. And he would oftentimes yell out Omaha. I, I don't know what that means, but he liked Omaha, evidently. But he would yell that out, and he would change the play, sometimes two and three times, based on how he saw the defense lining up or how they were moving. And he was just really smart. That's what made him really great. Uh, and he was playing against Ed. What was his name again? Good job. And, uh, and so, um, and, and Ed knew that he was smart. And so one particular play happens. And this play is, um, he goes up the line of scrimmage and he sees how their lines up. And he knows the defense they're in. And here's what he knows. He knows that Ed Reed, as a defensive back, is going to have a choice. Because they're sending two receivers out. And he's either going to have to help out here or he's going to have to help out here. And he watched so much game film on him that he knew that the minute Ed kind of opened his hips just that much, that's all he had to do, that much, he was going that way. He knew it. He knew it. Sure enough, ready, set, hike. He does his two-step drop back. Ed goes like this. And he goes, got him. And he fires the ball down here. But what he didn't anticipate was this. Ed went like this. And he intercepted the ball. Here's what he knew. Ed knew how smart Peyton Manning was and outsmarted him. Because he knew Manning would have studied him again and again. So he studied himself. What was the tell? What was the giveaway? The giveaway was when he opened his hip and he, and he took that first step. And he said, I'm, I'm going to take that first step, but I'm not going where he thinks I'm going. And he intercepted it. Greatest foot. Manning looked so confused. He was shocked. Belichick says, greatest football player. You say, what does it have to do with anything? Here's what I want you to understand understand about something. There is an enemy of your soul, and the enemy of your soul, if you know his plays and you know what he's going to do, you can outsmart him. You see, the spiritual battleground in life is in our minds. It's a battle against against lust and greed and discouragement. It's a battle against all that, but if we understand that that's the play that's coming, if we understand we know how to defend against it, how do we defend against it? We proclaim God's goodness, just like the song we just sang. We talk about and celebrate how good God is. We rejoice even in situations that don't seem like we should be rejoicing because we understand something. We understand something that our opposition doesn't understand. That whatever we're going through on this earth, not only is it temporary and that heaven is a very long time, but that God will even use that temporary situation that seems so negative to do something good in our lives and in the world. And so if we can deal with troubled situations, difficult situations, we can actually squeeze goodness out of that session or allow God to do it in us. And it's a very different way to approach it. So let me read a passage. Are you okay? You good? I got my football analogy out of the way. Are we okay? All right, good. See, all the guys are awake right now. So got that. Here we go. First Peter 4, 12 through 16. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Here we go. Fiery ordeal. That sounds great already, doesn't it? The fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. There's a lot of words there. Let me just break this down for you because it's counterintuitive to us. When we go into difficult times, we want to we do something other than praise God or feel like we're being blessed, right? That's not our normal instinct. And yet, if we understand what God is up to and what our enemy is up to, we can deal with it. So there's some expected things. First expected thing, this is the very first uh, thing. Uh, dear friends, do not be surprised. That if I, don't be surprised that life gets hard. Life just gets hard. It gets hard on the just and the unjust alike. Nobody gets a, a cakewalk in this life. It's going to be hard. So it's not a surprise to any of us. But the language he uses is very important for us to understand the purpose of going through difficult times. It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you as though something strange were happening to you. Fiery ordeal is a direct reference to purifying of gold. As a direct reference for So they take gold, they heat it really hot, liquefy it. Anything, any impurities floats to the top. They're skimmed off and it leaves you with pure gold. So I was reading some, some writing by a monk, uh, which I don't do a lot, frankly, but uh, a Catholic monk. And he was, he was writing about in, in his spiritual journey that he's identified three things that are part of his spiritual journey that have to be dealt with uh, appropriately. And the first one is garbage. Now, when I was a kid, and, and in California, I, mean, I know this is just awful. They probably didn't do it here. But when I grew up in the Midwest, when I was a kid, people used to burn garbage. Anybody remember burning garbage? Anybody remember that? The little, like, little, little wire thing, they put it and burn it. And it's not good. It's not good for the environment. I'm glad we don't do it anymore. But every once in a while, when I'm in, when I'm in a developing country, and they're burning garbage, that smell... You know, your smell is one of the strongest senses. It just brings me right back to being a little kid, watching the neighbor throw stuff in the garbage, right? There's, just, there's a, a, a unique odor. It's not necessarily a good one. It's just unique. A, a part of what has to happen when we go through difficult times is God uses that, that heat of that moment to burn off stuff we don't need, to burn off stuff that's not helpful, that's not, that's not healthy. And it just kind of burns it right off to take the impurities out of us. You're saying, well, well, what, what kind of stuff would that be? And just bad stuff that you've allowed in. Um, whether it's, it's family of origins issues you've never dealt with, or it's lust, or it's greed, or it's, I don't know, it's being a victim, or, or even just good intentions gone bad. Whatever it is that needs to be gone that is holding you back, from becoming who God wants you to be, it usually gets burned out during those difficult times. So we're, we're all going, ah, you know, if you're like me, I always, my first prayer when hard times come is, get me out of here, God help, you know. But it may be that God's going, no, no, you need to stay in the fire for a while so I can burn some stuff off. You've got some bad attitude. You've been feeling sorry for yourself or what, you know, whatever it might be, right? And so it gets burned off, and that's where it happens. And so in that moment, we can be okay with it. We can, we can understand that that's going to happen. Uh, and then there's baggage. And baggage is stuff that is usually external to us, and we're just carrying it along, and we don't need it. It's not helpful to us. And so in those heated moments, we begin to look at that kind of stuff, and, and we, can, we can realize that I don't need to carry this. It's not necessarily negative, but it might be a false expectation, uh, it might be uh, false expectations to ruin most relationships and ruin your life. It might be, I, I'll tell you. I, I'll tell you one. It's not, this is a really small and no big deal. But um, so when I was a kid, I loved to sing. I still love music. I, love, I have music playing all the time. I love music, and I want. I wanted in the worst way to be a singer, and I was a singer in the worst way. 
And I, I love singing, and I always wanted to be a singer, and I just love singing. I even took voice lessons at one point. Here is the problem. I was passionate about music and, and singing, but I wasn't gifted. I can't sing. It's not that I, I'm not good. I can't sing. I can't remember a tune. It doesn't work. There's something not there. Now, what if I had spent the rest of my life still trying to do that thing I wasn't gifted at? By the way, we all want gifts that we don't have. We want somebody else's gifts, right? Like these guys up here, you know, I really want their gift. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, why didn't I get that gift? And he's going to say, because you couldn't handle it. And I'm going to say, fine, okay, fair enough. But the reality is, what if I had to continue to pursue something I wasn't gifted at, it wasn't what God intended for me, that would have become baggage, carrying me away from who God called me to be and what God called me to do. And so we not only let the bad stuff burn off, we let the unnecessary stuff burn off, and we are left with treasure. So we've got, we got garbage, we've got baggage, and we've got treasure. And that pure gold is treasure. And what you may find is going through uh, difficult times, that, that crucible of, of heating up and burning off things, is you may find some stuff. You may find that, that you have more faith, you have more tenacity, that you uh, really are much more comfortable being dependent on God to help you than you ever thought you could be. And in that moment, you begin to find your spiritual identity and integrity. You're no longer kind of trying to fake your way through being a Christian. You now have a relationship with God, and every day you take joy in having that relationship, and it empowers you, and it moves you forward, and you have become more like Jesus. And so the first thing to remember is, yes, you know, things are going to happen. Uh, testing is going to happen, but God will use it. So everybody's going to go through difficult times. The question is, are they for a purpose? So if we're just, if we're just beings who happen to be uh, uh, molecules that got together over millions of years, and there is no creator, then there's no purpose, and then, then suffering is... So a number of years ago, I, uh, I first came to California, I got a phone call from a guy running a hotline that I knew back in Chicago, but it was a girl from Long Beach calling him, 15-year-old girl, um, going to commit suicide. He said, would you talk to her? And I was a single witch. I said, here, I'll talk to her. And, and so I got on the phone, and here's what she kept saying. She kept saying, life's hard, then you die. Life is hard, then you die. Life's hard, then you die. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? What's hard? And she began to tell me your life story. And I'm thinking, life is hard. It has been very hard for you. Not only were you abused and abandoned, you've been mistreated your whole life. I understand why you would think that. But I try to help her understand that if, yes, we're just an accident, then life is hard and you die. The whole thing is a tragedy. I get it. But if, on the other hand, what the Bible says is true, that there was a creator who created us and created us not only with purpose, but there is meaning in this life, then life is hard. God does a work in my life, and then eventually I die and go to heaven. Very different story. Completely different story. And so all of us will suffer. All of us will be tested. All of us will go through hard times. But if I can understand that God will use that, he will, he will squeeze some redemptive goodness out of that for me and for his kingdom, then I can go through it. Then I can face that. If it's without purpose, then Hemingway, whoever, ending your own life makes perfect sense, right? What's Hemingway, right? Yeah, okay. Just checking. A few literary people going, yeah, I think that was right. Okay. It wasn't Ed Reed. I know that part. Okay, so there was a football player guy. Okay. Maybe Cody was right. I don't know. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so testing, and then suffering. And, and he goes on, he says, you test as though something, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So 
this idea of suffering, we're going to go through it. Do we go through it for a reason? Listen to this. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's a little hint there. A part of the outcome of sharing in his suffering is to also share in his glory. And I'll talk more about glory in a moment. It's, it's an interesting word. Um, so, everybody suffers. Here is one of the ways that we have to come to grips with suffering. We have to learn to not allow our imaginations to be cap- captured and therefore suffer more than is necessary. The battle is in our minds. So what does that mean? Um, during the COVID, uh, if you were like me, some of you were, is you allowed your imagination to be captured by, you could call it negativity, uh, but it may be more sinister than that. And so if you were like me, you found yourself during COVID either figuring out ways to get around the rules that people were putting out or figuring out who to be mad at because they're putting the rules out. Was that you or no? Now, some of you just lived in fear that all this was happening. Either way, it captured your imagination. Do you realize that much of not only advertising, but entertainment, uh, political stuff, everything is designed to capture your imagination. But here's what's interesting. While me, the great man of faith and power, is over here being stewing on all this stuff that I'm mad about or upset about, someone in our church said, you know, we ought to feed families who are out of work. And so I don't know who decided it. I just know that at, at one point I became aware that people were pulling up next to the ranch house, opening their trunks. We were unloading food. And on Saturday, we were handing out that food to families. Thousands of meals, thousands of meals. So while I was over here stewing, someone allowed God to have their imagination. And they said, you know, we could be feeding people right now. You see differences? So another thing, another thing that happened. I don't know who came up with somebody, somebody children's park. I don't know who did it. But I know that there was one Saturday during, it had been going on for weeks. The kids hadn't seen each other, hadn't gone to school, whatever it was. And they arranged, I don't even know what the excuse was, but they arranged some excuse for families to drive through in their cars. And we would just reach out and give them a basket, a, a little bag of goodies for the kids. And I saw grown men crying as they drove through it, because someone allowed their imagination to be captured by God's goodness and what God might want to do instead of sitting over here like the pastor and stewing in his own juices. Right? I have to be honest. One of the biggest battles for me when I'm going through a difficult time is not go over here where it's negative and it's bitter and it's angry and, and it's not, but just come over here and connect with God in a way that he captures my imaginations. And live in the, in the not the, the what ifs, something bad happens, but the what if God did something, or what if God used me to touch someone, that kind of thing. One of the things we must always try to do is allow God to control our imaginations and God's goodness and, and his faithfulness and not the unfairness of a situation, the inequities, whatever it might be. I'm not saying we live in denial. I'm saying if you stew, you don't get anything done. But if you let God take your imagination, amazing things can happen. We all go through difficult things. So how do we turn worries into prayers and fears into faith? That's the goal, is to turn worries into prayers. And so that's it. When you worry, you find yourself over here, start asking God to help you get over here. And your fears into faith. Again, God, help me get over here. My imagination could go crazy. Oh, you got got something on your skin? Oh, you know what that is? It's not just sun damage. It's got to be cancer, right? Is anybody else like that? No? Just jump, make those jumps. Let's 
You don't. You guys are saints. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad you're here to hear me preach about me. It's good. It's going to help me. Some phrases to remember when you're going through difficult things. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. The biblical version is, and it came to pass. Or Psalm 35. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. I've had several friends who have committed suicide over the years. I couldn't help but think, and it was almost always at night. And I, I can't help but just have a thought. What if you just hung on till tomorrow morning? His mercies are new every morning. Your perspective might be new in the morning. Could you just hang on? Just, just hang on a little bit longer. If not till the morning, at least for three days, because amazing things happen after three days, according to Scripture, evidently, in many cases. I, I, we just need to remember, suffering will happen, but if I'm in a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, there can be a purpose, there can be a meaning, there can be something redemptive about that difficulty. Now, he, there's an interesting phrase here that he says. He says, uh, rejoice as much as, um, as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so they may be overjoyed, glory, glory. and then it goes down, and it says, verse 15, if you suffer... If you suffer, and it's kind of given that you will. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Does this strike you as a strange list? I was right with him right up to the end there. He's going, yeah, if you suffer. So, so what he's saying here is he's saying sometimes you're suffering because God is testing you or forming you or shaping you, but sometimes you're suffering just because you're not too bright. You're, you've made a mistake. You've done something dumb, right? I've had people, oh, it's a spiritual thing. No, you made a bad decision. There's no, so there is a sanctified suffering. There's a kind of suffering that the, the apostles did and, and many Christians have because they're suffering because they're Christians, because they're going, but there are lots of people who suffer because they're just dumb. They just do dumb stuff. Is that too plain for you? You're offended? It wasn't long ago, I, I was... Uh, I, I don't want to tell you this, but it's true, so I'll just tell you. Um, I had the tailgate on my truck down, and I managed to back into a pole. I don't mean like tap a pole. I mean like knock it loose and crunch my tailgate like this. Now, here was the upsetting part. There was no one to blame. <laughs> it was me. Me, nobody else, and a pole. One pole. No other poles, just a pole. I found the one pole in the whole thing and backed into it. It's a gift. It's just, it's, not everybody could do that. You ever done something so dumb and you're just sitting there going, and I want to blame somebody. I wanted to call it a spiritual attack. I wanted to call it anything, but it was just stupidity. It was just me being dumb. What Peter's saying here is if you're being dumb, you're getting what you deserve. Quit whining about it. Put your big boy pants on and deal with it, right? Because you got what you deserve. Well, there, there are things like that, okay? And the point of that is quit being dumb, all right? But there are other times when you're going through difficulties, there's no fault of your own. No, you didn't cause it. You, had nothing, you can't fix it. You just got to go through it. By the way, um, just this is also for free. I won't charge you for this either. But I don't know if you noticed this list, but it was uh, do not be a murderer, thief, criminal, or a meddler. 
Does that meddler, by the way, that's, that word is coined here and here alone. It's not used anywhere else in Scripture. So evidently Peter was going, let me think of all the bad people. Well, they're murderers. Yeah, those are bad. And they're thieves. Yeah, those are bad. And they're criminals. Yeah. And there are people who stick their nose in other people's business. Does that seem like a weird one to be listed there? I think it was written for someone here today. I'm not going to say who it is, but I've got an idea. I just think it's... It was just funny. It's like we do stuff to ourselves. It's self-destructive. Don't feel sorry for yourself. You deserve that, okay? But if you're going through a, a difficult time, then I want you to respond to it in an unexpected way. So the expected part is we're going to go through testing. We're going to go through trials and suffering. That's it. Here's the unexpected part because there's some words used here in this next session like this. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice. Suffering, rejoicing. Hmm. They don't seem to go together, do they? And yet, he's saying they do. So let me, let me think about Jesus. If Jesus never suffered on a cross, died, you and I wouldn't be talking about him today. It was his suffering that revealed his character and his mission to the world. It was as people saw this person loved us so much that he would die for us. He didn't come to teach us good tricks or nice lessons. He came to die for us. And it was in his suffering that our creator's character was revealed. If his mission and character was revealed through suffering, why do we think it will be any different for us? People say, oh, I want to make a difference in the world. And I always think, do you have a clue what it's going to cost you? Because nobody, everybody looks good when things are going well. When it's all going up and to the right, the charts are looking good, we all look good. It's not until it hits the fan when we find out what people are really made of and whether they've got something more than the rest of us have, something deeper, something more powerful. It's interesting. As I think about this, and I think about his mission and his character, I think... Maybe if we understood that, we could rejoice. If indeed it is this, this pressure of difficult times that shapes us and forms us, and now we realize it's also pressure situations and trouble that helps other people see what God is doing in our life, then maybe we could count it joy to suffer. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But you think about some of the greatest heroes, Mother Teresa, Henry Nouwen, some of the greatest spiritual heroes. There are people who lived in the crucible of formation and other people observed it and we still talk about them now as heroes in the faith. But it wasn't because their life was easy. It was because they persevered in difficulty with God's help. Could we rejoice in that? If we truly understood what's really important and what really matters for eternity, yes, we could. There's another word that's even more absurd. It says this, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Overjoyed. That sounds crazy. When I was 12 years old, I came to California to visit my grandparents. They took me to the forum to a basketball game, Lakers, and there was this guy named Wilt. And I was, Wilt Chamberlain was a basketball player. He was 7'1", 275, one of the greatest athletes in the history of the world. And Okay, in modern times. I don't know the old world. I didn't know any athletes back then, but he was good. So I'm standing next to the, the uh, tunnel where they go back to the locker room. And I'm 12 years old. And here comes Wilt, the biggest human being I've ever seen in my life. 
the biggest human being. I was in awe. He's all sweaty. It's halftime. He's all sweaty. And he's just been, he's just been eating everybody's lunch. And it's just like, Arr. and I'm like, whoa. It's like an awe, just like glory coming off this guy. To a 12-year-old, that's what glory looks like. Question for us is, what does glory look like? Because glory is a weird word. Glory is a strange word. What does it look like? Winning the Olympics, somebody wins the Olympics, is that glory? Is that, I mean, yeah, kind of, I guess it is. Here's, what, here's some of the meanings of glory in Scripture. is to have one's character, in this case, God's perfect character revealed. That is glorious. To see evidence of God's being all-powerful and being at work in the world, that is evidence of God's glory. It says, when we see God for who he is and for what he has done, there are a lot of people who think we're crazy for believing in God. But there will be a day when who he is is made known and what he has done for us is obvious to all. And that will be a glorious day for those who believe. There will be glory in that moment. It is powerful. He says, if we suffer as he suffered for the right reasons, in the right ways, with his help, and his glory is revealed, that glory will shine on us and it will be reason for rejoicing. We will be overjoyed. So I, as I think about this idea of, of glory, I was thinking about a friend of mine who has cancer and I've been through chemo, getting ready to go through some more stuff. There is nothing desirable about cancer treatments. There's nothing comfortable about it. There's nothing that makes one want to do it. But if those cancer treatments work, it will be a glorious day when they hear you are cancer-free. And the pain and the suffering of going through this will be worth it because of this. There is a sense in which there's no promise that life is like a sitcom or a silly little hour, um, I don't know, mystery, where it all gets tied up in a nice knot. It may not. On this earth, it might not get tied up into a nice knot. But whatever we go through here will someday be worth it there. So I, uh, I uh, fly quite a bit. I don't really love flying because I get motion sickness very bad. I was flying out of somewhere down south a few weeks ago and storms were gathering and it was raining and stuff. And I just knew that first 15,000 feet was going to be torture. For someone like me, I actually found myself praying, God, just get me to 15,000 feet or the top of the clouds. And, and, uh, and so it's bumping and it's shaking and I'm going to sweat. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be ugly. And then suddenly we break through the clouds and would have been nothing but gloom and rain and awful below. I'm in the sun looking down on it. And I'm heading home. And life is good. We need to remember that there are times that life is just stormy, but God is still good. Life is really hard, but God cares, and he knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly where you are, and you're there for a reason. If you can just hang on and trust him enough, let him work on you enough till you break through the clouds. Here's what God will do. In that moment, in that time, he will give you the strength the peace, the perspective to go through it. So there's a song that's written by a guy from Chicago because, you know, Chicago's great. That's where I'm from. Anyway, if it was that great, I wouldn't be from there, would I? Okay. Um, his name was Horatio Spafford. 
and uh, he lived in the late 1800s. And in 1871, he was an attorney with uh, real estate holdings, and most of his real estate holdings were wiped out with the Chicago fire in 1871. 1873, there was another economic downturn that pretty well took whatever he had left. And he and his family were going to join a, a great preacher named Dwight Moody and in Europe for a set of meetings there and to support him. And at the last minute, a zoning issue came up. Um, and there's jokes I can make about zoning committees, but I, I won't. And, um, and so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead, and he was going to join them. Uh, there was a crash at sea. The ship sank. When she arrived in Europe, she sent... Um, a telegram back saying, I alone was saved. So he gets on a ship to meet his wife in Europe to console her. And because he was a Christian, he asked for God's help all along the way, and it was difficult, it was painful, and he'd lost just about everything. He'd asked the captain when they arrived on that same route, where, when they arrived close to the vicinity of where the ship had sank, if he would just notify him and let him know. Captain did that. He went out on the deck and he's looking out at the waves, realizing there's nothing to be seen here but somewhere below were four of the people he loved most in the world. And he wrote a song, a song that I sang growing up. You might recognize it. We've already established I can't sing, so I will read it if that's okay. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And Lord, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is is well with my soul. Truth is, hard times will come in life. Difficulty, painful times will come. You can be discouraged. You can even struggle a little bit with depression. But at the end of the day, we need not despair because there is a God who has it all under control. There is a God who has a plan here and forever. There is a God that we can depend on and therefore, we can sing along with him, it is well with my soul. In this passage, it says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Blessed. It says that if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. What it's telling us is that if we are living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter what comes, he's got it. And the most important thing about you is not where you come from or what you do for a job. The most important thing about you is are you in a relationship with Christ? Are you a Christian? If you are in a relationship with Christ, then you can handle whatever comes and know that God will bring good out of it for you and for me. So here's our assignment for today. Our assignment is you can't always go directly after joy. You can't just grit your teeth and, and have white knuckles and say, I'm going to be joyful. What we can do is practice celebrating. 
Practice celebrating things. Practice celebrating that God loves you. Practice celebrating that, he has, that he's given you breath in your lungs. Practice celebrating that he's given people who love you and that you love. Practice celebrating that you're here for a purpose and for a reason. And don't just do it haphazardly. Do it regularly. And don't just do it uh, by yourself. Do it with others. Find yourself some people who are infected with joy. Hang out with them. See if you can get infected too. And as you begin this practice, when life is good, of celebrating, when life is bad, you'll remember to celebrate because it keeps the enemy at bay and it keeps your mind on what is important. Begin celebrating today whether life is good or bad because God is good. Therefore, you can celebrate. I can celebrate. I want to live as a joyful person. I want to be like my creator. I want to be like Jesus. I want joy, even in difficult times. And I believe it's not only possible, it's what is intended. But we've got to practice. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the fact that you have loved us, that you died on a cross so that we could be forgiven and that you have given us the opportunity, even in adverse, adverse circumstances, to be joyful. Because at the end of the day, our life is in your hands and nothing can happen to us that you haven't allowed And there is nothing that can happen that you don't have a plan to redeem for our benefit and for the kingdom. And so, Lord God, let us learn to practice celebrating, to keep our minds stayed on you so that we can live a joyful, a victorious life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I have one more assignment. You guys up for it? About three people said yes. Uh, And if you're an introvert, you're going to hate this, but do it anyway, okay? I want you to start celebrating, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find someone on your way out. Just you're walking by and have to stop and no big conversation and just point to them and say, I celebrate and then celebrate something about them. Someone celebrated me for my new haircut last night. (laughs) You might just celebrate them because they're here. You might celebrate them for a smile. Let's practice celebrating a little bit. Why don't you be a little infectiously joyous today and just celebrate somebody on their way out. They might think you're nuts. What do you care? You're not gonna see them again. It's a big church. Never see them again. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.